Welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, uh, where we look at details of the Hebrew language and then the Hebrew Torah scroll as we go through each of the week's Torah portions. And in this episode, we're considering Torah portion Vayishlach, which is comprised of Genesis 32, verse 4, through chapter 36, verse 43. Now, before we get into the actual text of this Torah portion, um, last week and this week, we see uh, Jacob continuing to contend with the two great enemies in his life, uh, relatives, in fact. Uh, one of them is Esau, also known as Edom, and the other, the one who he's just left in last week's Torah portion, is Laban, his uncle. And... Um, what is interesting about these two names is that both of them are colors. Laban is the Hebrew word for white. And Edom, as we've learned, is the Hebrew word for red. So his two enemies were Uncle White and his brother Red. But I want you to notice something. Even though Esau had sworn to kill Jacob the moment that their father Isaac was dead, and though Uncle Laban had cheated Jacob over and over and over again, you know the story about the two brides, two sisters, Leah and Rachel, um, God was the one who was in control, who used these two, these two selfish men to do a deep work a deep work in Jacob's life, and to help make Jacob into an Israel. Now, I want you to notice something. If you take the first letter of Edom's name, which is an Aleph, and the first letter of Laban's name, which is a Lamed, those two initial letters spell the word El, which is a basic Hebrew word for God. Now, Esau and Laban weren't God. But God was, was at work through them. We're going to see this also in another, uh, another verse coming up here in just a moment. But I want you to consider an application for your own life. Too often we give way too much praise and credit to Satan. I believe Satan is real. I believe he is an enemy. But we have to understand something. Even Satan belongs to God. And even Satan is just... A tool in his hands. I think of Satan as God's sheepdog, and he uses him to drive us closer to the Father and closer to our shepherd, Yeshua. We should have no fear of Satan. We're to fear God and God alone. And uh, even when God allows Satan to do something in our lives, it is always for our good if we're just patient and we give ourselves time to see the outcome. Even the thorn in the flesh that God gave to Paul to keep him humble and usable and to bring the gospel to the world, that thorn in the flesh, Paul tells us, was a messenger of Satan. So again, no fear of Satan. Because if you fear him and you talk about him and you um, uh, share Satan's power, you're giving Satan praise. You're diminishing God and magnifying the enemy. We should never be guilty of such a thing. So let's give all, all praise to God, all praise. And let's not give any praise to the enemy at all. Let's magnify the Lord instead. 
Now, an interesting thing about white and red is that in Leviticus 13, when you start reading about leprosy or zarat, as it's called in Hebrew, uh, you'll find white often used when a hair turns white. And if it's inside what's called a baharis or a baharit, which is a, a, a it's usually translated a, a shiny spot or a bright spot. But as you read, you find these are often caused by a burn, which makes your skin red, or by an eruption, a swelling, which also makes the skin red. Um, so when I look at these terms of white and red and these two enemies of Jacob, I see leprosy terminology. And, uh, and even this, even leprosy is something in the scriptures that was given to help awaken people to the issues inside. Back in the holy nation of Israel, when they walked close to God and, and the tabernacle and the temple when there, was in their midst, leprosy was an outward sign of an inward problem. So sometimes our enemies are actually mirrors of inner enemies, inner issues that we need to deal with. And I have to point out one more thing. If you take Laban's name and spell it backwards, it's Nabal, which means a fool. So he might look all white and clean on the outside, and, uh, but, but Laban was hiding a lot of foolishness inside. But you can read about that on your own. Now, we go down uh, early in the chapter to chapter 32, verse 6, and it says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. So you can, mention, you can uh, imagine Esau on horseback and 400 other men on horseback with him, and they're galloping toward Jacob. And remember, the last thing Jacob had heard about his brother was his brother saying, well, soon as our dad is dead and buried, I'm going to come and kill you. Think about that. Esau was in a hurry for his father to die so that he could also kill his twin brother. That was the last thing Jacob had heard. So what's he to assume? Esau is coming to kill me. But I want to look at the numbers here. There's Esau, that's one person, coming with 400 men. So it's 401 people who are approaching Jacob. If we take the numeric values of the letters at equal 401, it's Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet, which has a numerical value of 1, and Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which has a numerical value of 400. Put these together and you have the Aleph Tav, or in Greek we would call it the Alpha and Omega. I think God, again, is showing us here that even in our perceived enemies, God is present, God is in control, God is at work, we're protected, and we'll be praising God if we just stand firm to see the outcome of the situation. Our job is to fear nothing but Him, to stand faithful and strong, to be strong and courageous, to stand with Him, to trust in His Word, and to trust that He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
And there is nothing that can touch us without his permission. And if he permits it, then it's somehow for our good. But in him, we are more than conquerors. So even these 401 men reflect the fact that God is present. Now when they meet, finally, in chapter 33, verse 4, um, well, it's a little bit of a different outcome than what Jacob expected. Instead of Esau coming to kill him, he comes and embraces and kisses him. We read these words, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What a happy reunion. And that phrase, and kissed him, is one word in Hebrew. It's vayishkehu, vayishkehu, there it is. We saw a lot of kissing going on in last week's portion with, uh, with Rachel and the watering of the sheep and so on. But uh, here we see another kiss. Now, in the Torah scroll, that word Vayishakehu has dots over it. I put a red rectangle around the word. You can see these dots that appear over the word in a Torah scroll. Every Torah scroll in the world is marked this way. Now, the rabbis all discuss this, but they can't agree on why this word has these dots over it. They do know that when a dot is there, to draw our attention to the word, to look deeply into it because God wants to reveal something. But some of the rabbis say that these dots are here to warn us that Esau's kiss was... Uh, treacherous. It was not sincere. It was not something that he really intended out of affection, but he did it as show. But other rabbis say that even though Esau may have originally been riding towards Jacob in anger, that by he, the time he got there, he kissed him right from his heart and all of his animosity melted away. We don't know. We don't know which it is. But I do know there is another deceptive kiss in Scripture. We can read about it in the Gospels. And that is the kiss when Judas kissed Yeshua to betray him. This was Judas's way of pointing out which individual was Yeshua so the Roman soldiers could then arrest him. And Yeshua asked him, Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So we need to be careful about people who show affection. I know there are people who love me, there are people who love you, and they show affection. You know it's sincere and, and, and warm and true. But we've all had others show affection to us, sometimes affection over the top, a little too much, uh, too, too much glowing terms. And it turns out their kisses are more to draw attention to them than it is as a true expression of their affection and love for you or for me. And you'll notice these six letters, Vav, Yud, Shin, Kof, He, Vav. There are six letters with six dots. And I want us to also look at Proverbs 27, 6, which says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, here's the entire verse as it appears in Hebrew. Count the number of words. One, two, three, four, five, six. Maybe prophetically, somehow, this passage in Genesis 
was looking forward to this passage written by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. So those six dots are pointing us to these six words, which simply is a warning to us that the kisses of an enemy may be false, whereas the wounds of a true friend can be true and really done out of love. Well, one last thing. There's a, another interesting thing that takes place in the Torah scroll. And this is referred to as the unfinished sentence. It's in Genesis 35:22. It says, While Israel lived in that land, Reuben, which was Jacob's oldest son, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Remember that Leah and Rachel each gave Jacob their handmaidens, Bilhah and Zilpah. And Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard. Now that's verse 22, but verse 22 continues. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. And this is how the verse is marked in Hebrew Bibles, in English Bibles. But there's something very strange going on here. Because if you look at this in the Torah scroll, you see verse 22. And this is the story of how Jacob or Israel was dwelling in the land, in that land. And Reuben went, there's Reuben's name right there, by Yishkav, and he lay with Bilhah, there's Bilhah's name, and Peligosh. Sometimes she's referred to as the wife, sometimes as the concubine. Uh, Aviv of his father, by Yishma Yisrael, and Israel heard, and then it just stops. And um, you could almost put some little dots after this because the sentence is unfinished and you can see that the rest of the line is blank in the Torah scroll. But then it picks up here, the Yehu B'nai Yaakov Shanaim Eser, and the sons of Jacob were twelve. And then where I've marked this red line here is where verse 23 begins. So there's this gap. There's this gap in verse 22. It just simply says, and Israel heard, but then doesn't tell you what he heard. The rabbis tell us that this is the Torah being polite. Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, was in the tent having intercourse with Bilhah. And as Jacob walked by, he could hear what they were doing and Jacob heard but it doesn't describe what he heard because the Torah wants to be polite and say, we don't need to go any further than this. That's too much information. And then it just continues the verse. And the sons of Jacob were 12. So make of this what you will. I'm just sharing it because it's an unusual thing in the Torah scroll. And that's what these Parsha seasonings are about. But if we have a takeaway from this, it would be this simply. You don't have to share everything you hear. Even when you hear it directly from the source, and it's not hearsay, you hear it directly. We should learn to keep secrets. We should learn not to share things that are inappropriate. I remember someone wanted me to to spill the news about something that I knew. And they said, come on, you can tell me. Tell me what, 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 what happened. And so I said, can you keep a secret? And they said, oh, yeah. I said, good, so can I. So learn to keep the secrets. 
and don't spread the things even that you know are true if they can be damaging and if there's no benefit to sharing. If it does no good to share it, it'll probably do harm if you share. So anyways, just a few insights, a few things, uh, a few seasonings from this Torah portion. And I hope they're a blessing to you. And until next time, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Enough said.